This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bobby Ambrogi from Boston, Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law and also contribute to the legal blog watch on law.com. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Today, Bob, we're going to be talking about uh, the environment, which has taken center stage in the media, politics, uh, movies, and throughout our households, and how we live. Uh, Our focus today will be on uh, uh, climate change, on issues surrounding that, and on what our guests are doing to uh, address that issue. We'll discuss recent legislative developments, uh, global warming awareness, and uh, operation of carbon credit trading dynamics. I'd like to welcome our first guest, David Hayes, is the global chair of the Environment, Land Use, and Resources Department at Latham & Watkins, a department has nearly 100 lawyers working on environmental, energy, and resource matters through the U.S. and affirms several overseas offices. Mr. Hayes is the resident in the Latham & Watkins, Washington, D.C. office, where his practice focuses on counseling, litigation, transactions involving environmental energy and natural resource matters. Mr. Hayes has practiced in the field for more than 25 years, and he served as the Deputy Secretary of Interior during the Clinton administration. Welcome to the show, David. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you. Also joining us today is Michael J. Walsh, Ph.D. Michael Walsh is the Executive Vice President of the Chicago Climate Exchange, the world's first in North America's only active, voluntary, legally binding integrated trading system to reduce emissions of all six greenhouse gases, um, which has offset projects in in North America and worldwide. Michael also serves on the board of directors of the Montreal Climate Exchange. He was a consultant to the U.S. Agency for International Development, uh, where he provided instructional seminars on emissions trading for industry and government officials from several Eastern European countries. He's been a speaker at United Nations climate conferences in Geneva, Kyoto, Buenos Aires, Bonn, and The Hague. And he's been a keynote speaker at industry conferences and educational workshops around the world, including events in Budapest, Moscow, Rio de Janeiro, and Sydney. Welcome to the show, Michael Walsh. Hello, Craig and Bob. Well, uh, David Hayes, let's start with you. Uh, And uh, I know you've been involved uh, in environmental issues for a long time. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about uh, what's on your plate right now. What are you focusing on and what are the issues that you're watching? Uh, Well, I'm involved in a in a wide variety of issues, uh, what is of most interest uh, these days to probably your listeners uh, and to me, frankly, is uh, is climate change. Uh, we are finding uh, here at Latham & Watkins uh, an enormous amount of interest on our clients' uh, uh, behalf with regard to climate change, both because we're involved in the international arena, uh, which is affected by um, uh, uh, the Kyoto Protocol. We represent companies that are uh, have obligations under Kyoto to reduce emissions uh, and/or interested in in uh, opportunities to uh, buy credits on the international market. And then here in the U.S., there's uh, there's a lot of ferment uh, in the area, as you know, uh, because of the 
of many states moving out on climate change, the federal Congress taking a close look at it, uh, lots of regulatory uncertainty. Uh, so lots of need for lawyers in this area right now. Well, just just tell me with the terminology. I mean, is is climate change as a as a phrase synonymous with with what we talk about when we're talking about global warming, or is it something different? Uh, it's it's uh, I view it as what we're talking about in terms of uh, global warming. The it's the uh, uh, from a perspective of, of of a lawyer, I think the key uh, it, it reduces down to the key question of the emission of greenhouse gases, uh, with carbon dioxide being the most prevalent greenhouse gas, but also methane and PFCs and a number of others. And these, uh, these gases have been linked quite definitively uh, to the warming of climate and uh, affecting climate change. And, uh, and because these gases, greenhouse gases, uh, typically have not been regulated in the past and yet are ubiquitous, particularly uh, associated with energy production, um, the prospect of regulating uh, greenhouse gases uh, is, uh, has enormous consequences uh, for many sectors uh, in the economy. Michael, tell us a little bit about your background and your role at the Chicago Climate Exchange and what the purpose of that organization is. Well, my, my background is a, a fortunate experience working with the implementation market-based mechanisms for reducing environmental uh, damages, including extensive work uh, in my own case with the Sulfur Dioxide Emissions Trading Program established under the Clean Air Act Amendments of 1990. Our exchange is an extract, if you will, from that emissions trading concept to use uh, a market-based pricing uh, and limitation system to most efficiently achieve the environmental outcome, the tradable permits approach, is the, the likely uh, candidate as a lead tool for managing greenhouse emissions. This, I think, has been recognized for a long time, and the Chicago Climate Exchange formed in the 2000 to 2003 period to give business industry, uh, the financial community, uh, the trading community, agriculture, forestry, and so forth, the opportunity to test out and develop on the ground uh, real experience in mitigating greenhouse gases. And to slightly amend David's remarks, the, the essential calculus of, of rising concentrations of greenhouse gases resident in the atmosphere is, is the, the effect on a net basis of emissions minus absorption of greenhouse gases, and that points to uh, two main pathways to reduce those uh, concentrations or the, the speed of the buildup, to, redu to reduce emissions and increase absorption through land use change uh, improvements and so forth. So we use the market mechanism. We've grown to over 300 members in North America and beyond in the Chicago Climate Exchange, and it's an important uh, uh, opportunity for the, the clients, for the, the, the listeners, uh, to get some hands-on experience in, in a real living market before the regulation is imposed. Well, I know you've both been, uh, you're, bo you're both obviously involved in and, and advocates of the, the sort of market approach to this, but for, for our listeners who may not be familiar with this, can you explain a little bit more about what emissions trading is and how it works? The trading system is intended to establish a broad uh, reduction objective allowing uh, through the use of, of limited uh, quotas uh, to emit uh, a, a gradual and cost-efficient reduction in emissions or net emissions. And uh, the concept is to establish standard goals, uh, standard quantification, independent audit of emissions, and allow those who can reduce emissions most cost-effectively to do more of it and to specialize in it, helping bring down the overall cost and allowing technology to develop 
driven by a carbon price that emerges from the buying and the selling of the emissions permits in accordance with reduction goals. David, California has recently enacted some significant uh, climate change legislation, and obviously the uh, EPA has uh, air attainment areas across the United States, along with uh, California's various air resources boards. How does all of that legislation uh, dovetail into market trading that uh, Michael's talking about? Well, the California legislation that was signed into law last fall by Governor Schwarzenegger uh, requires California to meet stringent reductions in greenhouse gases, but does not uh, prejudge the uh, pr- the way the program will reach those goals. Uh, right now, there's a very active process in California to develop uh, an appropriate approach, and most observers expect that there will be a trading system implemented. Uh, that's the recommendation of uh, the design committee that is uh, that has the first crack at this uh, uh, in the implementation process. So as far as that's concerned, um, it looks like California is going to try to adopt a, uh, a system along the lines uh, generally that, that uh, Michael was just describing. And, the, the, of course, the goal of that is to, as he explained, is to uh, enable companies to make choices uh, in terms of how they reduce carbon emissions and uh, and uh, hopefully find the lowest cost opportunities to do so. The situation nationally is much more confused uh, as your as your question uh, alluded to. Uh, we do have a National Clean Air Act, which potential which has some tools that potentially could be used to reduce carbon emissions, and we have the recent Supreme Court decision in Massachusetts v. EPA, in which. The Supreme Court uh, signaled strongly to EPA that it appeared to the court that uh, greenhouse gases were an air pollutant that should be regulated under the Clean Air Act. But the current tools under the Clean Air Act, uh, broadly uh, writ, are, are, are not very well uh, attuned to this market concept. And that's why in 1990, uh, when we uh, really experimented in a major way with this approach for acid rain, a separate title was developed for the Clean Air Act that would that would set the rules that would enable the trading to proceed efficiently, and I think most observers assume that the, that that's what's needed. Uh, I certainly do in terms of federal legislation now. If we're going to introduce a market trading system, we need tailored legislation, and of course, uh, that's what uh, has a lot of folks on Capitol Hill very busy right now as they try to develop uh, approaches that, that uh, hopefully would, would, will be workable. Well, and you've been, you've been critical of the, of the Bush administration uh, and, and uh, supportive of some of these legislative measures. Are, are there particular bills uh, pending now in Congress that, that you support? Uh, and if so, what, what, would, they, what would they do? Uh, I don't uh, personally. Uh, this is a time of great uh, creativity on the Hill, and I'm I'm loath to endorse any specific bill. Uh, I think it's imp- what's important to note is that uh, virtually all of the major bills uh, adopt the concept of a cap and trade system, which is the the key design element uh, uh, to uh, that, that takes advantage of the kind of work that uh, Michael's Chicago Climate Exchange is doing and that 
has uh, has has shown quite dramatic results uh, under Kyoto in terms of creating a market and hopefully uh, leading to lower cost uh, emissions reductions. Uh, frankly, though, a lot of the hard work of the design issues is still to be worked out on Capitol Hill. Michael, I'd like to drive this down to the local level if we can. Um, how do businesses, uh, law firms, uh, whoever would like to purchase uh, emission tr- uh, credits, how do they go about purchasing the credits? Can they do that through the climate exchange? What does it take to be a member? How, what's the mechanics of how your program works? Well, the, the core mechanics are a legally binding contractual commitment by the industrial, governmental, and other emitting entities to reduce emissions with the option to trade by a total of 6% below a year 2000 baseline at the year 2010. So first we place a cap and a reduction to commit, and those emitters are subject to independent audit of standardized emission quantification uh, methodologies, and they either have to reduce their emissions internally or find somebody else within uh, the registered and verified system of CCX membership uh, who has made an extra cut or has done a qualified, independently verified offset project, such as a methane capture or reforestation project. Law firms and other small emitters do participate. As a matter of fact, we have several leading law firms, consultancies, and so forth, who are associate members and commit to fully offset if you will, their business-related emissions through the purchase of trading on an electronic trading platform uh, that is used for a variety of energy and environmental commodity markets. So we've established an environmental commodity called the Carbon Financial Instrument that reflects 100 metric tons of carbon dioxide reductions. And if a law firm has 3,000 tons of emissions from air travel and business, they buy 3,000 tons and retire them each year the associate membership of law and consultancies is really an adjunct to the core membership, uh, which is a sizable industrial uh, a group uh, representing major power companies from Tampa Electric, American Electric Power, Manitoba Hydro, international utilities such as AGL in Australia, the state governments of New Mexico and Illinois, uh, major universities, major pulp and paper, and other heavy industrial companies such as DuPont and International Paper. They all commit to the rules of the exchange and to help improve the rules of the exchange over time with a view to, one, getting a price on carbon, two, getting direct practice in doing this in the field, three, learning and informing policy uh, developments uh, based on practical experience. Here's a question for either one of you. Uh, in California, five to ten years ago, we had an emissions trading program that was approved by the South Coast Air Quality Management District and used by companies to offset uh, permits that were uh, issued in order to be able to uh, emit in Southern California. But the program was shut down by the ARB apparently because it wasn't successful or there were some abuses in it. Do you see uh, future legislation adopting this kind of a uh, trading program for emissions for to get permits, or is this more focused on uh, overall reductions? I think there's a there's a connection there. I mean, you 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 really need both in order to get the reductions um, and to be and to have confidence the reductions will occur. Uh, you need to have mechanisms like permits or allowances that are tracked and that are credible and that that help that when added up uh, can help you see how you're you're doing against the overall goal. And you you point to something important uh, because the uh, the question of standards, and, uh, transparency, enforceability is is a is a key element uh, to uh, 
having these market-based systems work well. And that's a particular challenge we have here in the U.S. Uh, currently, the Bush administration has, has said they want to proceed only with a voluntary program. And on the good side, you have uh, uh, lots of players uh, uh, suggesting that they will sell you uh, uh, carbon credits uh, on the Internet and whatever, uh, you have you have uh, very serious players like the Chicago Climate Exchange also providing those kinds of opportunities. Uh, but overall, you don't have a system that uh, that that uh, that is that is ideal in this respect. And and many companies are are anxious to to get in place uh, mandatory rules that uh, so that they can then make. Uh, bigger and more significant financial decisions in this arena, and and uh, and and also you, in order to really have a truly functioning market, you need to have some scarcity, and a mandatory cap would provide that scarcity, uh, and uh, and uh, and if it's backed by good rules, uh, uh, appropriate regulation, and and appropriate enforcement, uh, then the market can take over and uh, and potentially do terrific things. How do we take this and translate uh, what the United States is doing? I mean, there have been some uh, protocols across the world, the Kyoto Protocol and some others, but you read in the newspaper and hear that you know China is building five Manhattans a year, and uh, there has to be a significant amount of emissions and pollution that are, are, is occurring in China. How do we get the rest of the world on board with this? I think we have a, a profound challenge there, and, and you're right to, to point it out. Um, I think to demonstrate on a continuous basis the viability and the economic advantages and ecological, diverse ecological advantages of getting a handle on these, these issues. Uh, the, the carbon and greenhouse issue uh, is not entirely separable by any means from local air pollution problems, which are profound in much of the developing world. Uh, so I, I think there's a, a real need to lead by example. And, but we have encouraged that any legislation in the U.S., be fully internationalized as soon as possible. Design in an interface to be able to spread the experience uh, to allow uh, U.S.-based companies to expand their, their, their capabilities around uh, this issue around the world, um, in addition to keeping the legislation simple, uh, understandable, and, 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 and really market-oriented. So it's a bit of a, of a challenge, but we think that uh, international engagement straight away and the experience of trading and developing country credits the clean development mechanism of the Kyoto system shows that there is real advantage in getting going and building engagement as soon as we can. So it is a, it's, a, it's a tall mountain to climb, but we've got to start. And, and I think we, we really should keep some optimism that if we use the market as, as a tool and do it intelligently, uh, these problems are surmountable uh, within our lifetimes. Is the Chicago Climate Exchange an international entity? Will you, can you trade uh, on an international basis? Absolutely. We have significant participation from India, China, Australia, uh, lots of uh, Canadian uh, facilities uh, and, and, and projects in Mexico, Costa Rica, uh, committed to reductions by Brazilian corporations who have no uh, national objectives to reduce emissions under the Kyoto Protocol. So there is an international market both in the Chicago Climate Exchange, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention our sister uh, subsidiary exchange, the European Climate Exchange, which is seeing very robust volumes uh, because the 2008 through 12 market design in Europe appears to provide the conditions David indicated. Uh, the pricing is around $25 a ton in Europe because there's an expectation of scarcity 
enforceability and, and real rigor. Um, and, and that gives us a sense of where this is going internationally. If that market has a value in Europe that exceeds the value of the U.S. principal agricultural crops combined. So these are going to be very big markets as we move down the road. And, and we'd be again remiss to not mention that if we achieve the environmental changes that the best scientists and some of our legislative proposals call for, this is not anything short of a revolution in energy and economic systems coming in the coming decades here. So this is a very big social change if we approve, uh, pursue the, the, the needed policies on this issue. It's time for us to take a short break. When we return, we'll have more on that topic and uh, also get uh, final thoughts from our guests. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit for your continuing legal education. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayitpleasethecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We'd like to welcome back our guests, David J. Hayes and Michael J. Walsh, Executive Vice President of the Chicago Climate Exchange. Michael, just to follow up on something that you mentioned earlier, and even to reduce it down, you, you said that there were about uh, you know, perhaps 3,000 tons worth of emissions from uh, a, a law firm or travel and so forth. Have you 
done the calculus for what one person emits in terms of greenhouse gases uh, on an annual basis and what it would cost uh, to purchase appropriate credits to offset that? Yes. Well, the, the U.S. average is around 20 metric tons of carbon dioxide uh, per person per year, and that's uh, about half uh, from an individual's automobile, another significant share from their residence, and the rest is carbon that's, in effect, embedded into products that we use and consume uh, throughout, our, throughout our economy. So 20 tons at a current price on Chicago Climate Exchange of $4 a ton suggests that fully offsetting emissions under current U.S. prices cost about $80 a year, or in the case of that law firm, uh, what did we say, 3,000 tons times $4, $12,000 a year. Um, that number is, is five times higher in Europe if you wanted to do voluntary offsetting at, at the current ECX price. David, I know you said earlier that you you don't want to uh, take a position uh, on some of the legislation now pending, but but I wonder, given what we're talking about, if if you can outline maybe uh, in a, in a broader sense some of the the key uh, uh, events that you see as necessary to to happen to to achieve uh, the goals that you're looking for. Uh, sure, um, the. Uh, the key the key elements in the federal legislation that that is uh, being considered on the hill uh include the overall uh timetable and amount of restrictions and reductions that will be required for uh greenhouse gases and and there actually is quite a bit of consensus about that it, it's easier to to uh develop those uh those estimates because they stretch out over time frankly but uh and then secondly if if we agree to do to try to do a cap on overall emissions there are fundamental questions about uh what activities you try to cap do you try to uh uh include all sectors of the economy uh in and and uh, judge what they are uh, producing in terms of greenhouse gases and and cap that do you take a different approach for some sectors like transportation than you might for stationary sources? There are those issues. Number three, there are questions about once you decide what your what activities are going to be covered and what the cap should be, uh, how do you do an allocation uh, that gets the market started, that basically identifies uh, what emissions are currently uh, authorized? Uh, and upon the baseline, basically, against which you are going to be, the current baseline against which you're going to be uh, reducing. Uh, and, and those are very difficult issues. Uh, uh, we, we need to get those right. Arguably, we should auction some portion of those allocations, or do you give them out for free, those sorts of issues? Uh, and then there's a, there's a whole set of difficult issues in terms of offsets, as Michael discussed uh, in addition to reductions that, say, energy companies may be able to effectuate by uh, tightening up their efficiency or fuel switching or whatever, there also are good projects that can reduce emissions or uh, help protect absorption possibilities in soils and in forests. Uh, what role do they have in a cap-and-trade system? Uh, uh, those are uh, th th that's essentially the type of suite of issues that are being discussed on on Capitol Hill. And part of the challenge of this is that uh, how you slice these issues can have dramatic impacts on various industries. So uh, there are a lot of folks uh, in this town engaged in this activity right now, and 
uh, and it'll be a challenge to uh, to get a bill out uh, of Congress on this. Although there does seem to be broad support, certainly for the for the overall concept. And is it primarily is it primarily major manufacturers who are who are watching this, or, or what other types of industries uh, are concerned about what's happening on, on Capitol Hill? The, the biggest ones um, are the major consumers of coal and other fuels to produce electric power, which represents one-third of the U.S. footprint. In the current structure, uh, Senators Bingaman and, and Senator Lieberman and others uh, in various pieces of, of draft legislation would look to the liquid fuel sector, the refineries and the refiners, to be responsible in some sense for the carbon emitted when their product is burned. So we have another chunk of the economy with transport fuels and automobiles, trucking, rail, and airlines. Uh, and uh, so the, the big energy consumers and, and, and refiners and transmitters, and then heavy industry as well, uh, such as pulp and paper, iron, chemicals, and so forth, appear to be the very uh, uh, high likelihood uh, audience for uh, being regulated under a cap-and-trade system. Was it uh, a, a mistake for the U.S. to walk away from the Kyoto Protocol? Did we lose an opportunity? Uh, well, I... I uh... I personally uh, think that uh, the U.S. would have been better off had it stayed engaged uh, more actively in the international process. Um, that said, that that decision was made several years ago, and it's uh, water uh, uh, under the bridge. Um, the and there's no question that the Kyoto Protocol has some serious shortcomings to it. In particular, uh, the absence of uh, commitments by uh, China, India, and some other rapidly developing uh, countries is certainly uh, limits its uh, its effectiveness. Um, but my my uh, I would turn it around and just point out that under Kyoto there is no agreement uh, of what it will happen in terms of additional reductions after 2012. There's there's essentially a cliff right now, uh, and that provides an opportunity. For the international community, hopefully this time with the U.S. at the table, uh, to to uh, come together and uh, potentially uh, have an international approach that improves on Kyoto, and with a little luck, uh, uh, takes advantage of advances that that are uh, occurring here in the United States, uh, uh, be it under the State of California uh, program, uh, the the regional greenhouse gas initiative in the Northeast. Uh, and perhaps uh, some of the other states that are moving out, and, and ideally uh, a federal program uh, that, that will have some, uh, some legs to it and some, uh, some history to it by the time uh, the U.S. Uh, is able to reengage in a meaningful way on the international front. It's, a, it's an international problem, uh, and there are, there are profound reasons why the global community needs to work together to be effective on this. Uh, and uh, and so, I, in my view, it's essential that uh, that we move out uh, nationally, but always with our eye on the international ball. David points to an important uh, cliff, if you will, in the diplomatic uh, sense of uncertainty in the international agreements as to what happens after 2012 when Kyoto expires. In light of that uncertainty, the European Union has announced commitments to extend and expand reduction commitments through 2020 with a view to making clear to the market participants that emissions trading and international north emissions trading will survive at a minimum through European Union as a driver 
post-2012. So they're trying to get that market signal out there, uh, and that's a sign that this isn't going away in no other markets. We've reached that portion of our program where we're coming to an end, so we'd like to get your final thoughts and your contact information so that our listeners can contact you if they have any questions. So, David, let's start with you. Uh, can you wrap it up and give us uh, your contact information, please? Uh, my pleasure, and thank you for having uh, me on the uh, program. Uh, final thought is uh, for, for an environmental lawyer, uh, climate change, I think, is the is the, the the biggest thing to come along uh, in in a long time. I'd say in my career, uh, which which stretches back to 1979, uh, in part because it it is uh, it's an environmental issue that infects virtually every uh, industry uh, of importance in the U.S. and globally, and presents enormous challenges. So I appreciate your devoting time to the to the issue in today's program. Um, I can be contacted at David Hayes H A Y E S at L W dot com. Uh, Latham and Watkins is uh, is at www dot l w dot com, and uh, be delighted to have any feedback uh, uh, from this program. Thank you, and Michael. Thank you very much as well for being able to join the, the program and your audience today. Um, I think to expand on David's thoughts, uh, there is big environmental risk uh, to the planet, to our ecosystems and, and, and precious natural resources with this issue, but the risk and the economic risk that emerges from addressing it through regulatory uh, procedures also introduces significant opportunity, major uh, uh, ecological and, and energy uh, changes in our, in our overall economy. Um, the, the, the U.S. may be a very different-looking place 30 or 4 years out if the changes that are recommended by the scientific community are, are pursued. There's a major business and capital markets opportunity associated with making that change happen in a smooth, uh, successful way. And we encourage your, uh, uh, your, your listeners uh, to, to get engaged, to get involved in the markets and, and to take personal action through their, their buying habits and, and, and living standards to, 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 to get the best technology and to force that efficiency curve upward. We can be reached at the chicagoclimateexchange.com webpage. My email is mwalsh at theccx.com, and would welcome the opportunity to interact with your listeners. And thank you again. Well, thank you to both of our guests today, David J. Hayes of Latham & Watkins and Michael J. Walsh of the Chicago Climate Exchange. Uh, this has been an interesting discussion, and we appreciate both of you taking the time out of your work or out of your baseball <laughs> to be with us today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks again. And, Bob, as always, it's a pleasure to talk with you. And not only do we have to worry about the hot air that you and I generate, I guess there's also some greenhouse gases that we're going to have to deal with, too. I guess so. Well, well let's, uh, let's uh, trade in some credits here and talk to you again next week, Craig. Nice talking to you. See you then. Thanks again for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. 
Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.